I think I'm on. Can everyone hear me? Okay, so my name's Wright Gatewood, as Jeff said, and I'm pretty new. I think I've met the majority of you all, but if I haven't, come and say hello. Um, so I really enjoy Francis Chan, so I was pretty excited when Jeff asked me to help with this. Um, I, I really enjoyed his Crazy Love uh, series and, and number uh, Forgotten God, a number of other books he's written. And this one has been another great read, and I encourage you to, to get the book and read it for yourself um, if, you, if you have not. Um, so here in a minute, we're going to watch the intro video for Chapter 2, which is titled Sacred. Um, and in preparation for this, I've really just been trying to contemplate on how, on the things that in my life that I've held to be sacred and what it means to me uh, for something to be sacred. And I encourage you to do the same as we, as we go through this chapter and as we continue throughout the rest of this week. So let's watch the video and then we'll get to the lesson. So this week you guys read the chapter on sacred. That was probably my favorite chapter, um, just to meditate on those verses of just what we're a part of is something so, so massive. I hope you see that. I hope you you you, you showed up to the gathering this week going, wow, I can't believe I'm a part of the body of Christ. It's a big deal. But I want to ask you something. If, if God gave you, let's say God gave you, handed you a diamond ring and said, I want you to protect this. Don't let anything happen to this ring. Okay, that's, that's your whole point of your existence is don't let anything, don't let this ring be damaged. Like, imagine what you would do if you realized God Almighty entrusted you with this. Like you'd probably lock it up, you know, in some uh, bulletproof container that's fireproof, that's everything else. Maybe put it in a, you know, the most secure bank. Maybe, I, I don't know, you know, arm yourself, you know, like just dig a hole, bury it. You, you just, you're going to protect it, every, you know, with everything you can, with all of your resources. I can't let anything happen to it. See, and that's what uh, Paul saw himself. It says in... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, I don't know if you ever noticed that phrase before in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, where he says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he was given stewardship, like that diamond ring that you would be given stewardship. I better protect this. Paul's job is, this is all I want to be known as, is the guy that's trying to steward, to protect the mysteries of God. This is, I have to make sure that people understand how powerful these mysteries are. I have to make sure they don't get cheapened. I am a steward of the mysteries of God. I love what he says to the Ephesians, um, in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God, for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul saw himself as the steward. He saw himself like, God gave me this grace. I am going to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, this is something that is so massive. So to him, I've got to steward this well. To him, I, I got to make sure they understand how unsearchable his riches are. So I am failing if I don't get people to understand how unsearchable the riches of Christ are. If they don't see these mysteries of God as so powerful, that's why I look back and I go, gosh, I don't think I did a great job. Paul was this expert builder, he says in, in 1 Corinthians. And what, he, he was working very hard to make sure it was not about himself. You know, that, that it wasn't about his eloquent speech or his superior wisdom. It had to be about the mysteries of God. It had to be about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's why we have to be very careful in how we operate as the church. You know, we, we can cheapen the mysteries of God. We can cheapen the unsearchable riches of Christ. If people are more attractive, more attracted to a person, a preaching style, um, a style of music. And these are the things that we're going to be talking about and as we gather, rather than the sacred things of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We just want to be careful that we're leading people in such a way that they value Jesus, that their speech is about Jesus, that they just are in awe of Jesus and his unsearchable riches. I mean, that passage in Ephesians 5 gets me every time when he talks about how, verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Just to marvel over the fact that God looks at me right now as an extension of his body. God, the holy, holy, holy creator who was and is and is to come. nourishes and cherishes me because I'm a member of his body. That's why we gather. That has to be why we gather. To remind each other of how good we have it. See, people are going to gather every week And they'll come as victims. That's very popular nowadays. Everyone's a victim. Poor me. And when the church gathers together, (laughs) we're reminding each other, no, are you kidding? You've got the unsearchable riches of Christ. You're a member of his body. As we get the honor of breaking bread and drinking of the cup, we're holding on to something sacred. 
And so, as you discuss today, somehow, the goal has to be that everyone's astounded that they're a member of the body of Christ. That they recognize that they're a part of something sacred. Because I feel like we've lost this in the church. Um, And we get way too excited about other things. And we live in a very weird time. You look at the whole Old Testament. Do you think anyone in the Old Testament ever said, "Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to the sacrifices today. Depends on who's actually sacrificing. That's weird. No, you went because it was an honor to go and have your sins forgiven. Like, it wasn't about a person. You think the angels are all out day and night going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, ever look at each other and go, "Mm, it wasn't that good today. And yet that's normal conversation. You may leave your small group tonight and go, eh. Like, we don't ever want to be those types of people. We want to recognize we're a part of something so sacred. And what an honor to come together as the body of Christ and to speak to him. And what a thrill that is. And so if you didn't come with that attitude, I hope that you leave with it. And I hope that you spur one another on to leave with that sense of awe that you got to partake in something so sacred. Well, I hope none of you leave tonight going, eh. Uh, Which, in that case, it will be my fault, and definitely not the Lord's. Um, So, in this chapter, uh, uh, he talks about several cases where uh, individuals in the Bible uh, didn't count God as being sacred. And one of the most prominent stories, I think, that uh, of a person not really taking God seriously is, is definitely Job. Um, you know, he, he essentially wants God to, he expects God, that God kind of owes him an explanation for his suffering and might even owe him an apology that God did something wrong. And God, you know, has to go to him and say, listen, I'm God, you're just a man. And he explains how he was he created the world and job is you know insignificant in all of that and in job's response in verse 42 is i know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted who is this that hides counsel without knowledge therefore i have uttered what i did not understand things too wonderful for me which i did not know um So in Isaiah, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, So before I get into my first discussion point, uh, I want us to, to kind of look at two... Uh, particular stories um, in the Bible. I want us to look at uh, 
Uzzah, the story of Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6. You want to turn there, if not. So Uzzah, remember, is the, the man who, uh, when they were taking the ark, it started, it stumbled, the men stumbled, and it started to fall. He put his hand up and uh, to stop it, and, and God struck him dead. Um, and Francis talks about this book, or this uh, story in his book, and, uh, you know, he, he felt that Uzzah kind of got a raw deal, um, and I've definitely had that thought before. Um, but if we read in the story, um, you know, in verse 8, David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David had the same sort of feeling, thought that Uzzah didn't deserve this. However, if they had a, a justifiable respect for the sacredness of the Ark of the Covenant, what Uzzah did, regardless of what we think was wrong, was wrong to God. And so God took his life, and, and we can't question that in the same way Job couldn't question God. Um, and the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts is another one he, he looks at. And that is when they uh, weren't completely honest in how much money they had sold a field for um, so that they could that they then gave the proceeds to the church. That's in Acts chapter 5. Um, and the Lord, uh, I think Peter confronted them, and then the Lord uh, killed them on the spot. And, you know, I think many of us, if we, if we thought long and truthfully, would say, you know, I've probably said a lie like that at some point in my life. Um, I know I certainly have. And as we go through this, I just want us to, think, you know, this is the same God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same level of tenacity in regards to us owing him our respect. You know, he, he you know, we, we owe everything to God, and uh, without him, we're, we're nothing. Um, so, what do you think, how, how would you define sacred? What do we today, as a church, define the word sacred as being? I have some definitions from Merriam-Webster that defines it as devoted exclusively to one purpose or use, as of a person or purpose, worthy of religious veneration, holy, entitled to reverence and respect. So how do, how do we define sacred? Do we use one of those definitions? Do you believe that it has a deeper more significant meaning. Um, yeah, sacred. Everything is tied back to being of God in regards to the word sacred. So everything stems back from God in order to be sacred. Yeah, I, I would say that's true. Jeff? Uh, a few years ago, I got super excited about the end of the book of Ezekiel. Um, it's that boring section where it talks about how to measure, measure the temple and the walls and the city, and it goes for chapters with 
measurements. And so you really want to skip over that. And I always kind of just scanned it, but then I realized probably the most key and central verse in the entire book of Ezekiel is buried in those chapters. And the whole point of measuring the walls was to finally get to the wall separating that which is sacred from that which is common. And he tells the people, he says, you will learn to, to have this wall here and to separate what's sacred from what's common. And the big mistake that the people made at the time is they didn't know how to answer this question. Yeah. Uh, this, that's the whole problem is we don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. It's a holy word that we have to learn the definition to in our hearts um, to set apart Jesus Christ as holy mm-hmm. and sacred and what that means in your life, what that looks like. Definitely. So we, every person, every Christian has to have a, you know, deep understanding in our hearts of what sacred is. Um, Vanna. So utter perfection, untouchable. We, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that. Kind of uh, fitting in with the topic that uh, Francis Chan discussed, I think of sacred as being something we can't even understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot fathom. We should not expect to understand or fathom. And one of our downfalls is, uh, as, as also in the, uh, the, uh, the conversation that, uh, that Francis John was having, we dumb down Christianity so that we can understand it, so that the common person can understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's what attracts people to no, the things that are sacred are, are, are something that are beyond our grasp and understanding. And they're going to stay that way. Absolutely. I really like that. Your heads. Um, well, I was thinking about the word holy. I think it means the same thing as sacred. And the uh, Bible, sometimes it says holy in the Bible. I think it's sacred. Holy naturally. Right. Right. These institutions that God has ordained for us are are sacred, and we need to treat them with the same uh, respect and reverence that they taught. You know, they appreciated the the sacrifices in the Old Testament to be.
Yeah. Submitting to what what is sacred, to what is holy. I think everyone's right on right on target with uh, with what sacred should be and, and how we should view it and how God uh, treats it. Um, you know, when we when we really understand what sacredness is, you know, we can't help but marvel at at the mystery. I think that's kind of what Chuck was uh, talking about. You know, this mystery of our Creator and of our God, um, that He would desire us to build His church and to be His temple. Um, we're going to read Ephesians. 29 through 32, I think I have it up here. Yeah, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Um, so, holy matrimony is again mentioned here, and it's sacred, but in, in, which is just an image of Christ and the relationship to the church, which is sacred. And that relationship that we have as the church was a, was a mystery to, to, the, to the Jews of the Old Testament and something that was uh, made manifest through Jesus. Um, so... You know, something he asks was, you know, when was the last time you really thought about that, you know, this mystery and, and how significant it is in your life? So when was the last time, and you might not have, have thought about this before, but that when you, you've considered the relationship that you have with God and it's just made you bow down in awe of, of, of it, of its sacredness, of its holiness, of how lucky you are to have it. I know, I think the last time it really struck me was probably about two years ago when uh, a good friend and, and mentor of mine really, you know, laid out the fact that, you know, this is the, the gospel in its simplest form and this is the only reason you have hope in life is because you're in communion with the church and outside of it, you know, I don't have hope, you don't have hope. Has anyone else had that? Mm-hmm. I think both of those are great victims of modern life. Uh, for, on the one hand, we have science, which is great for advancement and progress, you know, having a lot of answers so we don't think there are any more questions. Yeah. On the other hand, we have so much stimulus coming into our ears and eyes at all times that we almost don't have any brain cycles left to Yeah. 
it has to be an experience that you work at because you're in a place of either great beauty or nature or a contemplative state or something, you know, I'm not, not saying you can't have another context, but that's what I think where it happens the most. And so I don't really have an answer, but I can tell you, I guess to answer your question, it's getting harder and harder for me to not have a time where I had any time no. to ponder the mystery and the wonder of what you're talking about. That's, that's kind of more of a confession, I think. You know, it's everywhere I go, we're all staring at our phones. Even the cars next to me are staring at their phones. Yeah. You know, and they probably have a radio on at the same time. So that, that's my point, is it's getting more and more difficult. And I think we see that in our culture, that it's reflected in how we're acting. Yeah, we're... We're plugging into society. We're not plugging into God. And I think that's reflected in our lives. I was reading this chapter, it made me think back on uh, your lesson on Sunday. I think you gave the metaphor of having a pot and you get the perfect blueberry seed, right? Was that Sunday? And, you know, you're not going to plant, you know, some lesser seeds within this pot. And I think that's a, that's a great metaphor. Same thing with uh, his diamond metaphor of, of receiving the precious diamond and you're not going to to lose it or, or, you know, it's the most important thing that you have and you're going to take care of it with everything you have. Um, so, moving forward. Um, so in Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 3, we see the Lord's coming down upon the temple and, and his fire coming down upon the temple and uh, anointing it. Uh, when when Solomon had completed it, and you know fire came down. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, 
bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, this happens again in Acts. We see when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of, as of fire, distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So we see God in the Old Testament declaring his temple, where he dwelt through fire. We see it again in Acts when he comes into the room where his church was, saying, this is, this is my temple. This is where I am. And now he's in this room with all of us. We see, he's, he's across the world. And so we, you know, it's amazing to think about, you know, if, if you lived in the time of, of uh, Solomon, you would have to go to a temple and you couldn't, the closest you could get to God was, was maybe the next room. And that's as close as you could get, unless you're the lucky high priest, and then you could get into the same room with him once a year, and even that might go wrong. But today, he literally lives inside of us every second of the day. And that is a completely humbling, awe-inspiring, mind-boggling thing to comprehend, and something that, you know, is, is completely and utterly sacred. So what do you think, you know, what are the implications of God's temple no longer being a singular building where only certain people can go and you, you might not even go to, to becoming indwelling of the Holy Spirit in people? How, how, will that, how would that affect your life if you... You know, most of us are Christians, but if you came into it, how, how would that change you? It's kind of a broad question. Mm-hmm. It is the transition of, of God's holy place into how he can live inside of us is, is something we definitely need to be pondering. Discerning 
And I have to look at this the way I look at communion and say, wow, these people are the body of Christ. And if I eat this, they think I'm being religious, but I'm not honoring my brother and sister. I'm eating judgment on myself. And that's one of those areas where I thought I was honoring something as sacred, but then I realized I'm not honoring it as sacred unless I look at this. Yeah. You know? So that's a really good example of kind of how it's challenged. Yeah, def definitely. I think I, you know, everybody, especially me, gets very, you know, I, I, I think very inwardly about myself, self-centeredly when it comes to communion because I think, okay, I got to make sure I'm right. And I end up doing the thing I'm trying to avoid, which is, as, just as Jeff said, thinking about my brothers and sisters because I'm just a brick in the temple. I'm not the temple. We're all just parts of the temple of God. And if we don't have a respect for that, if we don't count that as being sacred in the same way, and if, if we understand that, if I understand that I'm a brick in the temple, and so is my brother, you know, so is my brother Jeff, so is my, so is my wife Mason, so is my brother Abel, I, I'm going to completely miss the point. Um... Of, of the mystery that that is the church. Um, do you think that, have you ever seen, you know, when people critique things in the church, he, he, you know, they critique the worship, they critique the singing, they critique uh, how the communion was done or the, the communion talk was, was done, um, what is that a reflection of? Is that a reflection of God, or is that a reflection of our our own uh, self-centeredness? Yeah.
Definitely. Definitely. You know, that's why the, and you know, the reason that our relationship with our spouse is a reflection of the church and Christ, because when we, when we critique the church, when we are hard on the church, we're disrespecting, you know, the bride of Christ. And everyone in here who's married, and even if you're not, you can understand that, you know, you don't like when someone is, is being disrespectful about your spouse. You, you're defensive. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is we in the church, when we do it, you know, we're doing it to ourselves. We're just disrespecting what we're a part of, um, which doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, when you ask that question, that's, a, that's an insightful question and a challenging one because um, I find that for myself there are things that I, um, you know, judge about others at church. And it struck me, our discussion this evening is, is looking at what is it, what is sacred? Yeah. And one of the comments that was made, or several of them, sacred are those things that we personally, individually hold as sacred and feel like that cannot be changed, that should not be changed. We put things that are sacred that should not be sacred. Where the, where the Lord's Supper table is located. Yeah. Is that sacred? No. Whether somebody can wear a cap when they're serving the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And if you turn backwards... <laughs> Definitely. We can't overlook the sacredness of the Lord's Supper, but how far do we carry that? And especially in the context that we've been discussing. Yeah. We, as a church family, are sacred. We are the bride of Christ. Absolutely. That is the fundamental of what is sacred. Uh, Absolutely. There's a lot that goes into that as well, but we need to come back to that anyway and kind of check ourselves as we are beginning to address things that we believe are sacred. Absolutely. Come back to a foundation of what does God really say is sacred? Yes, we do, you know, and and I, I'm, you know, have heard all, all sorts of, of wild stories, but we as, as the body need to need to very carefully uh, search search the scriptures search our hearts, and come to the understanding of what, not only that we hold sacred, but most importantly, what God holds as being sacred. Um, so I, I absolutely agree. Let's see. So this is Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. To me, the very, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, 
to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Um, just out of curiosity, can anyone in here trace their uh, genealogy back to Abraham? Yeah. Well, then we have to be thankful for this this, uh, mystery that, you know, what was promised to Abraham, that through his offspring, God would bless all the inhabitants of the earth, was brought about through Christ in that the Gentiles were brought salvation. Salvation came first to the Jew and also to the Gentile. Um, And so this brought what is the church together not only Judaism, but the entire inhabitants of the earth Christ died for, and we are in communion with him. Um, What are your, you know, do you have any thoughts or any any bits of wisdom that that you have just from that mystery that Paul was given? Yeah. And then we start picking apart I'm just saying that, yeah, let's 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 embrace the sacredness that God defines. And let's definitely work on the body that we see every week and being more honoring of that slice of the body. And then let's keep going. Yeah. And you know, those believers that we work with mm-hmm. and, and the believers that are our neighbors, let's treat them also Absolutely. Thank you. 
Yeah. That's true, yeah. I never said water down the truth. No, I'm saying we as the angelic, not you. So I think part of the problem with that perspective is is that we have the truth, so let's not water it down by talking to others. I think we need to be open that we don't have all the truth. And for years the Church of Christ thought that the Holy Spirit was only available to the Jesus Christ. Only. So we learn and grow as well when we interact with I always think of um, when Priscilla and Aquila went to Apollos, not as you know an, an enemy denomination, but you know it says they they taught him the way uh, more clearly, and he came to understand more. And I think that's how a lot of churches uh, out there are. You know, they they have it the most of the way. Um, and if we can approach it with that level of, of grace and love, um, we may even learn something ourselves. Um, you know, I, I don't ever want to be, be one to admit that I, I know all the truths of God or of, of Scripture, and, and we should never be so arrogant to think that we do. So, yeah, I think that we, as long as we hold the temple as, as sacred, and we hold each other uh, as sacred and of God, um, and show the due grace and love that will turn out okay. Um, so I'm going to close this out in prayer. I think I've gone a little long, but are there any last comments or or questions or thoughts? Okay, please bow with me. Dear Father in heaven, as we humbly approach your throne of grace, uh, we just thank you for this time that we have to gather and, and delve into your word to, to share with one another. Um, it is a beautiful thing that you have opened our hearts and minds to your truth, and we pray that we can continue to seek you um, each and every day. I thank you for uh, Metal Ark. I thank you for blessing uh, Mason and I with this church. Uh, thank you for blessing us with these fellow believers that we may uh, continue to grow in the church with them, that we can continue to uh, learn about you, to adhere and hold sacred what is, what is important, what is true, what is good, what is precious. We're just so in awe of your love and grace and mercy. And it's in your son's most holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Are we having any singing or anything tonight?